all my works. And I even have a, a suitcase in, in the vaults of the Bank of Ireland. <laughs> Nobody likes to think of their works just being lost in the ether once they're performed. I think actually though with a lot of recent developments in technology, it's actually not one of the most challenging problems. Welcome along. You're listening to Curious About Contemporary Music, the Contemporary Music Centre Ireland's podcast series available on cmc.ie. I'm Yvonne Ferguson, Director of CMC, and in this edition we explore the challenges and issues that arise in the documenting and preserving of contemporary music. Traditional library catalogues catalogue physical scores and recordings very effectively. How do we effectively capture and represent a composer's work in the digital medium? We invited along three composers represented by the Contemporary Music Centre to discuss this area. Roger Doyle, the founding father of the Irish electronic music scene. Anna Murray, composer, assistant editor of Journal of Music, secretary of the Association of Irish Composers Committee and manager of Quiet Music Ensemble. And Brian Bridges, composer and research director of music, drama, dance and the performing arts at the University of Ulster. Well, archives, by their very nature, keep track of the past. But let's begin with the future. Posterity, keeping a comprehensive record of the landscape of contemporary music on this island. Well, that's important to the Contemporary Music Centre as the all-island resource for contemporary music. But how important is it to a composer, the creator of music, that their canon is preserved for posterity, for future generations of musical detectives to discover? Well, is this something that actively concerns composers? I think it concerns every composer. I'd say there aren't many composers who would answer no to that question. Nobody likes to think of their works just being lost in the ether once they're performed and not least just performed once or twice or three times just to exist beyond the composer. Brian, would you like to comment on that? I suppose my position is influenced a bit by being a composer based in academia, where I think of composition in relation to research and research processes. And I suppose one of the things that I'm quite interested in in relation to archives is how they can provide materials which help us understand how other composers work, function, how, they, how they're constructed. So I suppose it's the, the wider question around archives of materials which aren't necessarily the finished product of the piece, but the materials that contribute to a piece's development, I think are very, very important important as an area of interest. Roger, you're considered the uh, founding father of Irish electronic music by many of the younger generation of composers. What are your thoughts on preserving your work for the future? It's uh, really important. Yeah, I've spoken to other composers who who say, yeah, once your work is, is in the CMC library, we can all breathe a sigh of relief that it's there forever. But there are issues to do with technology and changing technology, which, which are worrying. And you know, part of me thinks if it's in a digital format, which everything is or will be, that almost makes me worry even more. Because of changing technologies, uh, stuff which is playable uh, this uh, decade mightn't be playable the next decade. And who's going to keep transferring and transferring and transferring? Uh, Libraries may be the last place left on Earth where we will be able to find people's works. Uh, One thinks of of the scores, the written down scores of, of Beethoven, which are not digital and have lasted so well. 
So once something goes into the digital format, it's almost, I think, in a precarious uh, position, just as much as it is a safeguard situation. You're actively concerned with this question, Roger, of of preserving your work. But do you think most composers are thinking about the technical side of the preservation in the way that we are as a library? Probably not. Actually, I was asked a really interesting question last year. You know, I have, um, let's say, 30 hours of music composed. I've sort of worked it out recently. It's about 30 hours. And somebody asked me, which would you prefer to see in a library? Would you prefer to see a couple of USB sticks? It would all fit onto two 16 gigabyte. There's two of them there on on the shelf. Would you prefer to see a couple or maybe even one external hard drive? Would you prefer it all to be on uh, the cloud, in the cloud, and some company's cloud? Or would you prefer it on 26 uh, CDs? Which would you prefer? And my answer was 26 CDs, please. That's For me, that's safer. But it isn't really. But for now, this combines the digital and the physical object. Of course, you need the bloody player to, to play it back on. There are CDs I saw online which are made of cement, some sort of combination of, 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 of cement and something other, which last a thousand years once they're made. I was reading about this. Are you worried about your work? Put it on one of these. You know, we'll make them up for you. And they last a thousand years. And, and the question immediately comes is, what will you play them back on? I think that's interesting. You talk about the 26 CDs on the shelf, because as a as someone who's a music enthusiast, not a music creator, that's what I would like to see as well. If I went to a library to discover the works of Roger Doyle, there's perhaps something in us as musicians that uh, our muscle memory likes to hold something. We're used to scores from an early age if we've been engaged with music. So perhaps this is some kind of a hang on from that, that we like to have a physical thing in relation to, to music. Brian, there's so much diversity in Irish contemporary music at the moment. And we represent composers that are working in so many different areas of contemporary music, sound art, experimental music, improvisation, electronics. And a challenge for us as the National Archive of Contemporary Music is how do we properly capture works of an ephemeral nature where the essence of the work is in the performance? Yes, I think that's uh, that's a key problem. I think contemporary music, by its very nature, often challenges um, normal archival process or traditional archival processes. Sometimes even the performative modes that um, that it takes place through are um, innovative, non-standard, experimental in the, in the in the broadest possible sense. I suppose there are a number of different strategies we can we can apply. I mean, there are a number of new technologies around um, designed for things like immersive media, um, three sixty video. Cam- cameras, using sound field, um, surround sound recording techniques or binaural techniques for headphone presentation of um, spatial audio cues. So there are some technologies available there. I suppose part of the challenge for composers and for libraries is the um, the time and preparation elements. Uh, quite, quite often, if it's a piece of an ephemeral nature in which the composer is heavily involved in the, in the staging of the work, it is very, very hard to also at the same time focus on the doc- um, the documentation process on on the various ways you may need to um, think about how to capture such a sort of distinct performance mode. 
I mean, I'm thinking of your own work with the Spatial Music Collective and the amount of resources in terms of technology that it takes to stage one of your performances. And that's an immersive experience for the audience. That would be a challenge for us to represent a Spatial Music Collective work if someone came into our library to listen to it. I think actually, though, with a lot of recent developments in technology, it's actually not one of the most challenging problems because I suppose at least it's audio only pieces in general and often fixed media pieces. So if we're taking surround sound presentations, spatial audio presentations using um, binaural encoding or binaural recording, which is basically where you sort of simulate the structure of the human head and the, the space in the ears um, in order to recreate spatial audio cues. So basically, if you present that back over headphones, then it sounds like you're there in the space. So there, there, there are ways around that. I suppose it becomes more challenging when you have mixed media works where there are multiple different points of view, maybe in a performance, where maybe there might be multiple different channels, multiple different screens, different locations of performers, maybe where there's no one privileged perspective on the piece. I think then that becomes a problem. Anna, would you like to come in on that? Yeah, I think this comes down to a wider question of who is the library for? And that would influence how something is documented. So if it's for a wider public just to experience the work after the fact, that would surely require a different sort of documentation than, say, as Brian said, for research purposes or for other composers or performers looking to find a work. So an audience's perspective, they would want to know what it was like to be in that space at that time. A performer might want to know what it takes to put on that piece. So... I don't think there's one set way to answer the question of what is the best way to document an event or something that is, as he said, ephemeral in nature. It really depends on what your end user would be. Hmm. Roger, would you have any thoughts on that? I was only thinking when Brian was talking there of all the extra equipment you're going to have to buy. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But with performances specifically, I suppose I'm thinking of perhaps more collaborative creative work or partnerships where the composer is working with the performer or a video artist or a number of video artists. Would you have any thoughts on the challenges there in terms of, for us as an archive, keeping track of that? Yeah, a part of my career has has been as co-director of an experimental music theatre company operating theatre, and we did shows, we did many shows over the years, as well as releasing uh, records, uh, I mean, discs. And the shows are, sometimes it's one one camera at the back of the theatre just to have some sort of documentation of the thing on a VHS format, so harder to find a VHS player nowadays. Well, you can get it all transferred, I guess. I know that um, it has been said to me, uh, "Oh, you're all right. You have, you know, you have some sort of audio r- documentation of everything you've done." Whereas me, the performer, not me, but the person talking to me, says, "We're, we're we've nothing." And uh, certainly, uh, there are actors and actresses and and soloists who, who who've developed and given their whole life to performance, and who say to me, "We've nothing. We've, we've not nothing. We've very little." to show for certainly for my own work i always make sure that there's an audio a very high high quality audio um, version of it available as much as as possibly can be 
Let's talk about some of the technologies and transfer issues. And I'm going to start with you, Roger, because you're very diligent in keeping an archive of your work. And you've been very diligent over the years of changing technologies, of making the transfers that are necessary from the analogue to the digital. For us, it's sometimes from physical to digital. So you might just expand a little bit on that. I mean, you've worked with so many different technologies over the years. To an extent, I was thinking a bit about this on, on the train on the way in, with with future technologies, for instance, what might they hold, what might they do, uh, what changes are we going to have to embrace in the years ahead? And for me, I think the answer is it doesn't matter what the technology, it doesn't really matter. The problem is going to be the same no matter what lies ahead. If it's in a digital format, there will be problems. As I said earlier, there, digital engenders a problem and a problem solved both at the same time. But I do worry. I, I am worried. I, I know I, I'm, I'm up to date with uh, with all my works and you have copies and I even have a, a suitcase in, in the vaults of the Bank of Ireland. Uh, actually, they've just told me recently that I'll have to take it out because they're not doing that anymore. But but since 1984, I've had a suitcase full of stuff. I used to go in every every week or every month and, and update it. They used to wonder what the hell I was doing in there. And where will the suitcase go, may I, don't I ask? Know. And it's full. No. It's full of, of reel-to-reel tapes uh, and CDs and it's heavy and scores. It's heavy to lift. Uh, so... I am worried, especially, you know, now that I'm well into my 60s, who's going to keep transferring the stuff? And, you know, when when you only have the cloud, maybe in a few years, there might be only the cloud that is all up on, on a Google site or an, or an Apple site or, or wherever. And what happens if they are at the moment, all my stuff is on Bandcamp. Everything is on Bandcamp. Bandcamp might go out of business uh, and God forbid the CMC might lose its funding. You know, I don't even want to think about that. So it's, it's a worry. Is my son going to do it? Is my grandson going to keep transferring? Stuff? It might all be lost in, in two generations. It might all be gone. Well, let's, <laughs> n- let's not think so gloomy or doomy. I'm wondering, though, Roger, has there been an instance where with a performance of your work, there's been a particular challenge, perhaps, in the fact that there's been a kind of a time gap, perhaps, between the first performance where you would have used a certain technology and then another later performance where that technology is obsolete? Has that occurred? No, it's never happened because, okay. because uh, well... I haven't been that many performances, I guess, of, of some of the more bizarre st- uh, stuff that I've done. And I've always made a studio recording of it. Uh, so, no, it's never happened that the technology wasn't there the second time around. Uh, it's either just been transferred onto, you know, some sort of a digital media and played back that way. It's true that I don't have that many works which are different in each performance, unlike some of the things Brian was talking about. My, my works are not so different in each performance, so I don't have uh, issues with that. Have you encountered this, Brian, where, I suppose, perhaps with the Spatial Music Collective? Well, actually, n- not even just with that. I suppose I came to contemporary music through synthesizing, through synthesizer experiments. So I suppose, yes, like Roger, I, I, I would archive various different pieces and therefore I have a record of the piece and I, I, I have a record of the use of particular 
piece of equipment or technology. But actually, there are times when I wouldn't mind going back to some of those earlier technologies because of certain sonic characteristics. And, um, you know, older electronic um, musical instruments break down, need repair. Sometimes, you know, analog synthesizers are hard to tune. Things like that. So I, I think that there's an interesting development in around certain um, open source softwares, or, um, s- software platforms that are developing where people are actually trying to find ways to imitate older hardware, to preserve older hardware using open platforms such as Pure Data. So they'll they'll do things like, you know, imitate a classic British synthesizer from 1971, and, but it'll be built in, in Pure Data. So at least then it's in an open format that people can start to tweak and get it closer to the the original and um, yeah, you know, at least have some representation of the modalities of that original instrument. You know, it might be a classic instrument which actually still has contemporary relevance, relevance for contemporary composers in terms of its expressive possibilities. You know, some stuff that might have actually been lost in more normative designs. Anna, you're a graduate of the Music and music Media Technologies course in Trinity, as I think we all have. Well, we all have a connection around this table. Either we're graduates or we've taught on it. And I'm just wondering, have, have you encountered this, Anna, in your own pieces or perhaps in your production work with Quiet Music Ensemble or along the way that a performance has perhaps been thwarted by some technology that is now giving up the ghost? I think most times in my experience that that has happened, it hasn't actually been a technology issue, but maybe the availability of something simple like a prop or, or something that is actually very specific. Like a quiet music ensemble, we sometimes have trouble getting small physical objects that are quite a specific, like a bowl of a certain kind of resonance. So it's not a technological issue always. But I know with my own work, I have had a, maybe a slight fear of of this happening in a way and in the last few years I've moved towards more open pieces so creating just a score that is very open it doesn't require anything specific and partly the the intention behind that is aesthetic but partly it's also to allow a piece a greater life to to get around those problems of only being able to be performed in a specific way in a spe- in a specific place or with a specific technology it can be performed anywhere so I'm more avoiding the problem before it comes up mm-hmm. Which brings me to a question about traditional library setups, really, and the fact that we have to ask ourselves, are we guilty, really, of perpetuating this bias towards score-based pieces? I think there's an element of that, but it comes down to something we've mentioned a little bit about um, a way that a specific context or a space might influence a performance. I think that is maybe true of libraries as well. Uh, So if you are in a physical space, like we are in the CMC library now, we expect something physical, or we expect to listen, or we expect to hold a score. If we were exploring a digital library, maybe we would expect something else, and maybe our expectations would change. So it depends, I think, on very much on how we interact with the library, whether we're looking for something that's score-based. You know, maybe digital technology gives us an opportunity to look beyond scores in a way that a physical space doesn't allow us to do. Does the digital domain really open up a huge possibility for public access and engagement with Irish contemporary music through the Contemporary Music Centre's website? If we grapple with these problems of the documentation and we come out successful on the other side and we have a very true picture 
of the contemporary music landscape through our website. I would think that's exciting for the possibilities of further awareness and engagement with your works and with the rest of the 200 composers plus that we represent. I think that's very true and even more so than just the works you're documenting the fact that the website also has upcoming events it has news it has more than just the scores it actually documents everything that's going on with the 200 composers not just the physical documentation of the scores which gives a much more complete picture for anyone who visits the website than they might get otherwise mm-hmm. Brian? I think there's a great potential with um, repository archive websites for helping people think about how they navigate through different types of materials and, um, you know, how, how different types of musical, stylistical, stylistic, thematic relationships are available to explore. So uh, I think one interesting development that you've seen recently is some of the people who've tried to graphically graph uh, relationship between different music genres based on um, Spotify playlists and that everynoise.com, I think it was, that website. So I think, there, um, I think there's a great potential to focus on connections between composers with related work not 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 just uh, remain stuck on a sort of a, a singular sort of auteur style mo- mo- model where it's um, this more sort of you know certain key composers and not getting quite the same opportunity to, to browse around mm-hmm. yes I mean we want to encourage a kind of a deep interaction with the works and a deep engagement and that's the challenge for us to document them, have them documented in a way that will increase the engagement and the interaction with the works of composers. There's also, I think, a, a related development or related um, cultural shift that certainly is, is, is evident in, in the visual arts in particular, maybe not so evident within contemporary music around documenting various different key formative stages of processes and sort of, you know, that process of demystification. And I think that that's quite an interesting thing to, to start to explore within the context of contemporary music archives, treating the archive as not just a repository for finished pieces, but maybe potentially, if that's an area of interest to certain practitioners, being a repository for certain stages of development and allowing people to see a little bit more about the process that's um, that, that's contributed to the development of the piece. And I, th- I think that's maybe, in some, se- in some contexts, more interesting and useful for fellow practitioners. But I think also in terms of the demystification element, I think it could be also quite a, an attractive point of reference for a more general public as well. I find that interesting that you've said that, actually, because we find that when we host panel discussions, before concerts or one-to-one interviews with composers before concerts or if we have discussions throughout performance events like we've had in our salons in years past or in a new project we're involved with in Galway with the Galway Music Residency called Music and Musings. Audiences in general are incredibly interested in how composers compose and what they do and the process as you describe it. So I think that connection you've made there between the possibility of that being explored on our website for a more general public is a very interesting one. As well as the responsibility being on the composer to deposit their works with us, be it the scores, be it recordings, be it their way of documenting their their work. There is also perhaps a responsibility on us to guide them with regard to what formats or how 
they could be documenting mixed media works or experimental works or improvisatory works. Do you think, Brian? Well, from my point of view, yes, I think that actually a lot, lot of the time it's actually quite easy to document works at a basic stereo recording level. So there are maybe some ways in which some um, some tips on portable recorders, basic stereo microphone technique could actually be invaluable for a first pass documentation in particular of, um, of certain new pieces. At least it, it would help establish a baseline. Drawing to a close, and it's been really insightful to speak with you about this topic Are there any further comments or thoughts you would have on this area? From my point of view, I think that there um, are still some useful ways you can sort of explore and extend the stereo medium. So, um, for example, if you're trying to preserve a spatial audio impression of either electric acoustic works or mixed media works, that actually um, there's a whole untapped vein of... um, recording approaches around binaural recording um, uh, around using dummy head microphones or using microphone placements that simulate the the effect microphone placements and processing that simulate the effects of the the human head and sound response to um uh, to, to audio coming from different directions and i think that that whilst it is confined to being presented back over stereo headphones could actually be a useful additional perspective. It's maybe not right for every release or um, everything the CMC might highlight, but it would open up, especially a lot of the work in electroacoustic music and um, you, you know more sort of fixed media tape music that, that makes use of space could, could actually open that up a lot because I think that a, a, a lot of pieces now don't easily reduce down to standard stereo, that, that, that there is a spatial, spatial performative or structural dynamic, which is very, very important in, lo- in a lot of new work. There's a label in Montreal called Empreinte Digital who used to release DVD audios, or DVDA, which has um, 4.7 gigabytes instead of uh, 700 for for an audio CD. And their releases would have a stereo version. They'd have a surround sound version, 5.1 or or 7.1. And they'd have a stereo mix of a surround sound version. So you'd have, and then they had an MP3 320 all on the one disc, filling up the space. I don't think they do them anymore, but it was a great... I mean, I have several of them at home. DVD audio, sadly, maybe have, has gone into the dustbin as a, as a, as a medium, but uh, that's what they used to do, and it was really fascinating, for, especially for electroacoustic music. We've been speaking quite a bit about sort of non-standard concerts and improvisation and how best to document that. And I think one of the reasons that is becoming more important is composers are considering more carefully about the relationship between the composer, the performer, their audiences, and how best to present music that way. And I think all of that is is constantly in flux, but there is definitely an important position that libraries or repositories like CMC hold in managing those relationships. And maybe that's not something we've discussed much here about that sort of multi-way uh, relationship between how people access music and how a library facilitates the access of music. You've been listening to Curious About Contemporary Music and our huge thanks to our panel this evening, Anna Murray, Brian Bridges and Roger Doyle.